0: Hello and welcome to this new episode of the Windhorse Publications podcast. My name is Dhamma Mega, and we have great pleasure today in a conversation with Sagaragosha Rosemary Tennyson, who has just written a book called Starting on the Buddhist Path that will be available in September 2023. And... It was really good to talk to Sagara Gosha about her own start on the Buddhist path and all of the things that uh, she's found helpful in the courses that she's taught to people new to Buddhism, uh, thinking about what do you need to know and what helps in terms of reflections and exercises and knowledge uh, to Get going if you're interested in Buddhism and you want to know more and you want to explore how the teachings and practices of Buddhism can change your life. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. So here I am with Sagara Hi, Sagar Gosha. Hi, Dhamma Mega. Yeah, so I'm speaking to you today because we're about to publish a book of yours, Um And it's called Starting on the Buddhist Path, an Introduction. But before we get to the book, it'll be really nice. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, who you are, your beautiful name. (laughs) Right. So
1: I'm at the moment in Cambridge, England, uh, in my flat where I live with my husband. Uh, My name means she whose voice is like the ocean which is a lovely name. I really love that. Um, I always sort of say, you know, I'm always afraid it uh, sort of creates expectations.
0: (laughs) What does the ocean part of that mean? You know, what what is the ocean referring to? Uh,
1: Well, another way of actually of um, translating it is she who communicates from the depths.
0: Ah, Okay. I can see why there would be some expectations. Yes, <laughs> that's right. There is an expectation.
1: And, and um, I was given it really after a solitary I had where I was near the sea and really had some um, uh, insights, really, from watching the sea and the beach, which actually I talk
0: about in the book. You do? Yeah. Yes. So my name comes from that mm, lovely well we'll see what, how well we can do in speaking about and from the depths today yes <laughs> um, Well, I was just thinking it's um it's a book for people who are just I suppose starting some kind of process of discovery, learning the Dharma, trying to get interested in Buddhism but don't necessarily know that much about it. Um, And that made me think about, like, who were you? Where were you when you were in that position?
1: Yes. Well, I came across the Dharma to to just a slight extent when I was probably in my early 30s. And I was a tutor on an open university summer school. And one of the other tutors had just been on a Zen retreat. And told me about it. And I was just fascinated. So that sort of piqued my interest. And I was looking then for books. And there was very little around. I was mostly looking for Zen books. Um, What was it uh, about
0: the the retreat that was so fascinating that you heard
1: about it? um, I think it was a different way of seeing things. I can't remember now exactly what that was, but it just sounded so fascinating. Um so, yeah, so I just wanted to know more. Um, and that was sort of continued for many years until my children had grown up and, um, and I was having a sort of a, a time at work where I was having to think about what was important in my life. And I decided that actually... What was important was um, to live my life well. I wasn't quite sure what I meant by that, but, you know, I, I realized that was actually more important than getting promotion. Um, I did get a promotion, but I, I um, decided that I would explore my interest in Buddhism. A friend had gone along to the Cambridge Buddhist Center, and so I thought I'd go and learn how to meditate. I was actually reading a Buddhist book at the time, Um, uh, but I was finding it really difficult to know how to meditate from a book. So I went along and I really enjoyed the classes. It really made a difference to me. Um, So I did two meditation courses and then went on to do a Buddhism course, which was very well done. But... um, you know, I wanted to do some reading, and there were very few books that the teacher could recommend. Very little available. Um, and although it, the the course I did on Buddhism, it sort of picked out various themes. I just felt I didn't know how it all went together. I really wanted to see something which sort of had to, took a bigger perspective. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's interesting in the book that you've written, starting on the Buddhist path, you uh, you don't actually teach meditation in it.
1: No, that's right. And that that's deliberate just because it is very hard to teach meditation from a book. It's hard enough to teach about the Buddhist teachings on the in a book. Um, But meditation, I just felt, and also there's a lot available. There are some good apps you can use and uh, there are some books available. So there isn't the lack that there is in actually starting to learn about Buddhism.
0: Hmm. So um, yeah, you, you put quite a few links to various resources in the book, don't you? And you have these sort of two guided audio meditations for people who want to um, sort of start on that. But but as you say, this is primarily a book about Buddhism and the Buddhist path. I think there's some really lovely things about this book. It's one of the reasons why we, we really wanted to publish it was that, um, you start in a really interesting way about what it means to study Buddhism, like how studying Buddhism or learning about Buddhism or the Buddhist path is quite different to learning other kinds of things.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, I feel that in order really to learn the Buddhist teachings, you have to do things. It's not just about hearing ideas, but you need to put them into practice. And actually, um, my background sort of, I I, I was involved in in publishing, in publishing math school books. Now, math is another subject where it's no use just reading about it. You need to do it. So, um, So actually, teaching Buddhism in a way came quite naturally because I sort of used the same sort of techniques
0: of actually getting people to do things. Um, we should say here, I'm, uh, speaking as somebody who's not very good at maths, <laughs> you don't have to be able to do maths. To... <laughs> <laughs> you have to be doing different things from maths <laughs> on the Buddhist path. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely right. It's absolutely right. they are
1: very different sorts of things to do. But the principle is the same. I mean, at first I had doubts about whether I could write a book because – there was so much when I teach, which is interactive. And and I suppose I feel that the content is only a small part of the learning. That actually it's how, you know, how I am, how other Buddhists are, which is also part of it. And so, um, you know, how was I to put that across? And um and, I, and that was why, actually, there are a lot of illustrations in the book, in particular, Padmachandra's illustrations, which are just to give an atmosphere which is a bit lighter, to know that this isn't an academic book. This is very much something where you can enjoy it. Um, and even, uh, I was thinking about it, and, um, you know, when a child learns how to walk, they just don't worry about falling over. They just keep trying. Um, and the problem is when we get to be adults, we try, we keep thinking we've got to get the right answers. And much it's so much more helpful if we can have much more of a, a childlike attitude to what we're doing. Um, and just sort of explore. And if something isn't quite right, well, that's how it is. But we can do something. We can try something else. And, you know, that sort of light approach is what I'm trying to get over in the book.
0: Mm. It's lovely to hear you speak about it like that because the, the book is quite playful and certainly Padma Chandra's illustrations are quite playful. As We've sort of got this little character of you in the book plus a, yeah. a sort of funny rabbit, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, sweet. I mean, it's definitely a book for adults, right? It's not a children's yeah, book. Not a book. But, but there is something about um, calling upon our, the way that we actually... Learn, which is so experimental, isn't it? And it is, it
1: is, it is absolutely. And I think, you know, certainly for me, when I started and I started looking at what happened in my mind, I just think, oh no, you know, (laughs) and I can feel quite bad about it. Um, so you know, it's helping people, you know, to just feel that whatever they're experiencing, that's okay.
0: Mm. I remember the first time I, um, I was actually visiting a, a retreat center and I did a sort of weekend meditation retreat. And it was the first time I'd done a fair bit of meditation, enough that I could really start to see what was actually happening in my mind as opposed to the very serious and sensible things I thought was happening in my mind. And I remember just laughing for most of the second afternoon, like thinking, like, um, in, a, in a nice way, like how ridiculous the mind is, They're just running around all over the place and doing this and doing that.
1: Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And it's sort of interesting, you know, the first time people try meditating, you know, just to say, well, you know, did you learn that your mind just wanders all over the place? You know, it's the first learning, mm-hmm. really. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I think the other thing I really liked in how you approach the process of Learning about Buddhism or learning the Dharma, so the Dharma, sort of like the teachings and the practices of the Buddha, is um, one that you've got a lot of exercises in it. Like try this, try that, try this reflection, think about this, maybe write it down. You know, so there's, it's very, very deeply interactive right throughout the book in all of these different areas. But the other is this basic idea, which is intrinsic to the Dharma that it's you're going to be changed by the process of learning absolutely absolutely
1: it really makes a difference to you if you if you practice um, and I'm I mean what really is what what is what's so um, encouraging when you teach the Dharma to beginners you see people change in a very positive way um, and, and what I've found, you know, I've taught for many years that, you know, sometimes I have people come up to me and say, thank you for changing my life, which is an amazing thing. I mean, actually, it's the that's changed their lives, but, you know, it's come through these classes.
0: What kind of changes do you see? I mean, not to, you know, not necessarily, you won't necessarily guarantee to have these changes. If no, you, no, no, yeah. no. <laughs> but what do you, you know, what what kinds of things happen? I
1: think you can, I mean, one thing is having a bigger perspective. Um, so I was very struck, actually, one woman recent, fairly recently came up and I was actually sitting in a cemetery with a friend and she came and knelt in front of me and said, thank you for changing my life. And um, I said, you know, I was really pleased to hear that, you know, it, it had been very worthwhile for her. And she said, and it's changed the lives of all the people I come in contact with. And I thought, ah, you know, that's something she has learnt. She's learnt that she's not separate, that what she does affects others. Um, and I felt really moved by that. Um, so, yes, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing I think. Um, I think just coming to see that the way that your your mind works, the way that you can be very critical of yourself, is actually something which affects other people too. And that um, you don't have to take it so seriously. That can be a wonderful thing to realize.
0: So many, so many people also, um, just, well, it's, it's probably always true, but the particular forms of stress that we live with at the moment and, and, and the certain kinds of pressures on our mind by information, social media, concerns about the world, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people are experiencing a lot of stress and, um, there's this core Buddhist teaching about interconnectedness or co-production. And the way you go into it is via stress and our experience of stress. Maybe you can just say a little bit about how you do that because I found it really helpful.
1: Yes, good. Um so yes it all actually it all came out of um I was teaching at work. I had a meditation class at work and Having had a sort of realization about um, conditions being very important, I wanted to bring it into work. So I thought everyone there is feeling quite stressed. So let's just look at what factors there are which make people feel more stressed. And they, of course, they had no trouble coming up with lots of factors. You know, um, the, the, you know, they don't have enough time. That people are expecting too much of them. That even, you know, that the sun isn't shining, you know, and it's wet and it, all sorts of things. So they came up with all these factors. And then we started exploring them further and seeing oh, yes, that's interesting. Um, so when you're stressed, does that make a difference the other way around? So when you're feeling stressed, for example, um, you don't sleep as well. This is when you don't sleep as well, you feel more stress. You feel you haven't got as much time, you know, so the, 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 the factors uh, go backwards as well. And then they all affect each other. Um so we explored that. Um, so um, you know, when you're not sleeping so well, you feel you haven't got as so much time and all and so on. And this can feel, oh dear, you know, everything sort of is, is all um coming together to bring about this stress. But then you sort of realize you just have to change one of these and everything gets a bit better. So, you know, it's it felt it felt like a really good way in where everybody could understand um, and and in fact it's even then um, is a way of looking at the noble eightfold path which is basically a way to reduce suffering. Well sometimes that's translated as stress so you've got all these different ways in which you can actually reduce that stress. Um, and certainly, I mean that's that's one thing which can be really helpful when you're uh, studying Buddhism.
0: And there's some great little um, sort of diagrams and exercises in a way to look at that patterning in one's own life. Yes, absolutely. In, in your book, and and of course, the other side of that is positive factors also interact as yes. well as stressful factors. Absolutely. You know, so
1: you know, can it. also yeah. yes, you can also look at a diagram. Well, what actually nourishes you? And look at look at it that way round as well, um, which can be really helpful.
0: Lovely. So there's this sort of um, division. Obviously, some some of our listeners will know this of uh, meditation, ethics, and um, wisdom or insight, if you like, and um, and often. Well, I mean, maybe kind of in the, the language of of mindfulness and stress reduction and these kind of ways in which sometimes Buddhism is used more widely, we think about something like meditation as a response to stress, don't we? Like if you calm down, if you, uh, you know, all of those things, if you get your mind to feel more positive or open or something, then, you know, you'll be less stressed and you'll be more happy. But I want to quote you on something (laughs) you say, one of the most straightforward ways to reduce suffering for ourselves and for others is to act more ethically.
1: Yes. So you're coming at it
0: in quite a different way.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, in fact, there's a lovely little um, quote from the Buddha where he talks about if we act more ethically, then we don't feel remorse. And then if we don't feel remorse, actually, we start to feel more joy. So, you know, it's um, it's very ethics are very powerful. <coughs> and I think what, what I say is, you know, in a way, acting more ethically is relatively straightforward. Yeah. Um, we can all do a little bit of it. We can all do a little bit of it. And you know, and in the book I give lots of examples of just tiny things you can do to be a bit more ethical. And those can build up to really make a difference to you. Um and it can sort of just make you feel um sort of happier with yourself as well as improving your relationships with others. Mm-hmm.
0: There's um a lovely way. So often in introductory Buddhism books, say, when ethics are introduced, it's a sort of rule-based ethics. You know these are precepts, and and this is, uh, I suppose, the uh, the constraints or the guidelines that tell us how to act. And you have those in the book. But you also deal with ethics in relation to the qualities of the mind?
1: Absolutely. And that feels to me to be really important. Um, I think uh, one reason I wanted to uh, emphasize the mind as well is that I come across women who are really looking after others a lot, really out of a sense of duty, perhaps, not necessarily then looking after themselves. And that may look like very ethical behavior as far as rules are concerned. But actually, it's from the point of view of the mind, it's not so good. It's not good for them. It's not good for others. So that's why I really wanted to say, well, how the mind is, is also important. And for some people, it's the mind you most need to look at. For some people, actually just following the guidelines is um, is very helpful. Um, so it's different for different people. So I tried to put that across. Both are important, but the emphasis will be different for different people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought it was a very skillful way of introducing the topic. And, you know, for, for some of us who may be have things about kind of authority or rules, you know, working directly with understanding what's going on in our minds is perhaps an easier way in and for others whose lives are quite chaotic, like just actually having some like, don't take the not given. Okay, I'm just going to do that. And then I'll just do that. You know, it's kind of more containing. So I really like the way you've dealt with, um, kind of approached it in both ways.
1: Good, lovely, yes.
0: Mm. Yes,
1: it, it felt a good way of doing it,
0: yeah. Even in what you've been talking about now with that example of the person who'd been in your course and, and talking about ethics and happiness, I suppose, or or, or, or reducing suffering, um, all of those are deeply social or relational ways of engaging with Buddhism and, and often... Introductory Buddhism books are also talked about as if you're just sitting on your own somewhere with a meditation cushion and a candle in front of you kind of thing. Um, But actually right throughout the book, you emphasize the social nature of, of practice and engagement and particularly the Sangha want to say a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting
1: because I think before I went along to the Cambridge Buddhist Centre, I was reading a book and I was very, in a way, quite happy to do it all by myself, <laughs> to read about it. Uh, and it was interesting going along and discovering that in Ratna, you know, our community, there's a very, great, great emphasis on Sangha and on friendship um and at that stage i felt i had very few friends um i was my work was demanding and i'd been bringing up two children and my parents had been nearby and, and i'd see them fairly regularly i didn't have time for friends um so i thought oh i really want to have some of this <laughs> but it took some time to develop the friendships. Um, But I do feel that they're so worthwhile. And I do feel that, um, I think for most of us, we're social beings and how we relate to other people really makes a difference to us. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, it's quite hard in a book, putting that sort of thing across. But I'm I'm trying to encourage people to think of really making an effort to make friends. In in Tri Ratna, um, I soon discovered that we have this culture that you can ask to have a cup of tea with someone, almost anyone really. And um, you know, I just I just took advantage of that really. Um I thought, oh, I really enjoy meeting people, it's very interesting. So uh Yeah, so, you know, it's certainly possible if you just make an effort to get to know people better.
0: Hmm. I'm also struck by... um... You know this this thing of moving from an idea of Buddhist practice as something you do on your own and maybe have experiences of some sort, you know, reflection or insight or meditation, for example. Um, but then it's very easy to get up off your cushion and you know, metaphorically kick the cat, or you know, like find actually that you've you've still got quite negative mental states going on or something. So friendship is not just a means, if you like, to self awareness and ethical practice practice and sensitivity it's also the kind of working ground of of, uh, our mental states isn't it it is it is indeed
1: yes I mean friends are really useful Um, (laughs) uh, I mean you know nowadays I spend a good part of my time meeting up with friends which is you know delightful Um, and you know talking about the dharma and talking about them and me and you know, how we're living our lives. It's just a lovely thing to do.
0: Um, So this this book sort of, um, I mean, Tri Ratna, Buddhist community is a very particular community and with a very particularly strong emphasis and and enjoyment of and sort of delight Mm. in um, engaging with each other. And in the book, you sort of, I suppose, um, explain a little bit like how that all works and if that's the context that you're interested in practicing and you're connected with, that's how it works. But I think you also set out a little bit the principles of if you're just practicing on your own or you're interested or you pick mm. up this book, like, um, yeah, like relationships per se. and Oh, and yes. that all yes. fits into yes. practice.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't have to be relationships with other Buddhists. Mm. You know, you can practice in all relationships um and um, so you know it's it's just generally in your life mm.
0: um definitely mm. not only what well, you one of the themes you were talking about earlier um was about books <laughs> uh and not only have you written a book and uh and you worked in publishing but um, this is actually quite a delightful thing because Zagorichosha is also on our board of trustees from Windhorse. It's quite unusual for us to publish a book that um, has that overlap, and and you also read other books with us. So you're you're very um, you're very engaged in in books, and you love books, and you contribute in all sorts of other ways. I mean, that's also part of it, of practice, isn't it? To um, to be contributing and be part of something um, bigger and broader. But why write a book?
1: Well, uh, I i mean, I knew there was a need for a, an introduction to Buddhism. And I had seen some proposals and I thought they're just not going about it the right way. but i was holding back because i thought i couldn't do it i couldn't write i mean you know i'd been teaching this course for about 14 years but i i just didn't have confidence that i could write because of um i think i'd as i was teaching more and more i came to realize that it was very hard to to say anything that was always true um, you know, I, I just became aware the Dharma is more and more subtle, and how can I put that across in a book? And then I say I teach very interactively, so how can I put that across in a book? But then, um, then my husband pointed out a, a book that was a programming book and how they were going about it, which has the same. Um, problem of um, you needing to do something. Um, and so I thought, right, I'll have a go. I'll have a go at writing. And uh, my husband liked what I'd written. And so eventually, after I'd written a bit, I'd sent it to you. Um, so, and then I found I was really enjoying writing. And um, it was making me explore things. More deeply than I had before. Um, Because if you're writing about it, you can't just glide over things. You have to really think about is this true? Is this true in my experience? How is it true in my experience? And so I just write a little bit, then go away and reflect, and then write a bit more. I sometimes go and talk to my friends and say, I'm I'm talking about, I'm writing about this. You know, what's your experience? Um, So I just found it so interesting. So I once I started, I really enjoyed it. And it, and I had this feeling, I wasn't teaching anymore. I mean, there's COVID around, you know, it wasn't really possible to do much teaching anyway. Um, but I can do something for other people. Uh and this is something I can do.
0: Mm, a lovely um motivation for it. You should also probably say that your your husband is not a Buddhist, so you were also he was also reading it in a way as a little bit of a outsider in the sense of of an introductory book to Buddhism anyway
1: absolutely absolutely he knows quite a lot in fact over the years i've taught him a lot but he was he was sort of my audience yes
0: so before we go i think i want to talk about a little bit about the scope of the book because often introductory books say something about like maybe the eightfold path and uh, and meditation as you say but actually you um, you bring in quite strongly the insight or vipassana or wisdom dimension of the Buddhist teachings right from the beginning in a really integrated and I think very creative way um, through uh, through one of the last few chapters. You also bring in quite a lot about ritual. Maybe we won't talk about that as well today because that's another thing that's quite hard to to write about, isn't it? It is. It is. It is indeed. I, I was a bit
1: nervous about doing the ritual. And again, I think my friends helped, you know, if I found something that they were doing, a little bit of ritual, which I could build into the book, I would I would put it in.
0: And I think for this conversation, it'd be good to talk about what you did with the wisdom part as well, in particular. Well, uh, I'll, I'll give
1: you a little bit of history. that um, A few years ago, I thought the skandhas, the, which I translate as aspects of experience, they appear throughout the Buddhist teaching. I mean, right from the early um, teachings, they are there a lot. And then in the later teachings, in the Heart Sutra, they're there. So they're really important. And yet whenever I've read about them, they seem really unclear so i I sort of thought, all right, I'll explore them. So I explored them for myself, um looked, read what I could, v- particularly practice with them to see you know what what's that really mean um and and I was also interested. There were a couple of things interested. First of all, they appear in the Buddha's second discourse. So he has his first discourse, and it uh, went to the five ascetics that have been practicing with him um and they gained a bit out of that but then he did the second discourse talked about the skandhas and they gained enlightenment
0: so they were really important so before we go on what do you mean by aspects of experience what are these skandhas
1: well what are they yes so <laughs> so
0: um
1: so let me say what they are um how i describe them and the first one is to do with um it's often described as body, but it also, everything that comes through our senses, we sense and we sense in our body like hunger and thirst and heat and cold, but there's also what we're seeing, hearing, um, sort of everything that comes in. And then the second one is what we often describe as feeling, it's better sort of hedonic tone, whether that is pleasant or unpleasant or in between. Uh, which we sort of um, know almost unconsciously. Um, But everything is either pleasant or unpleasant or in between. Um, And it makes a lot of difference to how we respond to things. And then there is sort of recognising what something is. Um, So we often give it a name, And uh, that can affect how we um, relate to it. And then there is uh, all the habits we have um, and all the decisions about then what do we do. So it's all the sort of the intentions, our habits, uh, what we do with all this information that's come in. And then lastly, there is just knowing what's going on so seeing this whole thing happening uh, which uh, called sort of consciousness or awareness of, of what's happening so th- those are sort of the five different aspects of our experience and um, and we can learn a lot by just looking at those uh, and th- if we then look at them more deep, I mean, it's it's quite interesting, I think, because when we uh, when I was starting, I was thinking, well, how do I divide up experience? And I think I, you know, very naturally, I tend to divide it up by, you know, there's a body, what I experience in the body, there's um, there's emotions, and there's thoughts. So those sort of feel like the way we naturally divide up experience. And it's interesting that that wasn't what the Buddha did. And the Buddha didn't really explain very much. So it must have been something that was very natural in his day. But it's not the same as we do it. So it takes a little bit more effort for us to look at it the way he did. But I've been actually I've been interested in reading some sort of psychology books recently, which actually have tended to go and looked at things more like the buddha so i think it's not it's not actually unnatural it's just what we're used to yeah um and then when we do that we can start to see that all of these are constantly changing flowing interacting with each other um and so there's nothing there which is really a sort of solid me and that sort of comes so naturally really when you do that.
0: Um, So that sort of brings in the whole wisdom aspect. So you you kind of go straight into the heart of the, you know, what, what often is described as a sort of not self doctrine, but of course, no self doctrine, but it can get very easily confusing, can't it? It can
1: get very easily confusing. And I don't actually call it not self or no self, or because I think that can be very confusing. I just say everything that makes us up is constantly changing and is constantly affected by the environment and, uh, you know, other things that are you know, well, just within us too.
0: Which goes back to the stress diagram, it goes back to the ethics, it goes back to the mental states and the and the interactions, yes.
1: Yes, yes. So it sort of all ties in, really. Uh, and it just felt like a, a really good way of ending the book um, and sort of taking people to a place which um, – isn't trivial at all. It's quite deep. Um, you know, it may be a book for newcomers, but it it isn't a trivial book.
0: Hmm. So it comes from the oceans, from comes, the
1: depths. It comes from the depths. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and people might be thinking by this point that it's an enormous book, but it really isn't. It's, no, it isn't. <laughs> uh, it's a very... Um, well, it's a very beautiful little book with all of these diagrams and charts and illustrations and photographs, and you know, so it's got a lot of um, visuals in it. But it's actually a very, very short book, and a lot of it is made up with these sort of exercises and and ways in which you can examine all of these processes yourself. And you know, it's it's not a it's not an intimidating tome. No, <laughs> it just happens to be one that takes you to the deeps. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> what are you hoping for the book?
1: I want it to make a positive difference to people's lives. Uh, you know, and as many people's lives as possible. That's
0: that's what it's about. May it be so. May yeah, it be so. Thank you, Sagar Gosha. It's been really, really lovely talking to you. About your book, and I wish you all the best with it. Um, this podcast will come out just a little bit before it's published, uh, just to give people a bit of a taster, and then, and then you can go out and get your own copy. So there's going to be in an ebook format and in a and in a print book, full colour, uh, quite small, not not too not too expensive, hopefully accessible book um, that you can look at on your own or with friends, really. Thank you so
1: much, Sagar Gosha. Oh, thank you, Dharma Mega. It's lovely talking to you.
0: Winters Publications is part of the Tri Ratna Buddhist community, and this podcast is sponsored by Future Dharma Fund, a Buddhist fundraising charity which helps fund Dharma projects across the world, including ours. If you're enjoying the podcast, please consider donating to them to help them fund current and future projects like ours. You can find out more about Wintour's publications by going to our website.